What's up everyone? Welcome to War Machine. What follows is part two of our conversation with Trip Fuller. Um, it's a lot shorter than I thought it would be. This probably could have been one episode instead of split into two. I kind of messed up a little bit and thought there was another hour left of the conversation, but there wasn't. Also, if I sound kind of shitty, it's because I'm on my shitty earbuds and I'm just too lazy to set up my microphone at the moment. Anyway, if you're looking for uh, a bunch of nerdy stuff, uh, we don't really get into any of that kind of stuff in this episode. In this conversation, it's more um, uh, background on, on Trip. Talks about his family, about his kids, and talks a lot about the, the church. So anyway, here it is, the exciting conclusion of our conversation with Trip Fuller. Peace. How has being the, the son of your mom and your dad and, and a child of your grandparents affected your theology and your lived existential model for your Christology? A few things about my parents, I guess, that would have deeply shaped it is they're both kind of nerdy types. Um, man, I grew up in a context where I don't have huge religious baggage. Um, faith was a place I learned about a more progressive justice-centered space. Um, when I was in elementary school, my dad started the Baptist AIDS Partnership of North Carolina, which worked with people with HIV AIDS and their caretakers. So it was like, you know, most Baptist preachers' kids don't have trans friends and, and stuff when they're in elementary school. I did. And that was why, because we're Christian and the people that are being excluded, you make space for and you help find the medical resources and things, right? So uh, in, in some sense, like the longer I've lived, the more I realized my parents were really good at introducing uh, faith in an invitational way and in an inspiring way. Um, and then around big questions, I would ask them questions and they would like give me books. So like in elementary school, I read most of C.S. Lewis, then got into Bonhoeffer, got Paul Tillich sermon books in high school and Kierkegaard, which is where that whole existential register thing came from. So that was always there. I didn't have the inerrancy. And when I was in fifth grade, I charted out the Passion Week stories and realized Jesus died on different days and told my parents my Bible was broken. And they're like, no, nah, that's how it works. You know, so they, they, in some sense, they, that deeply changed where questions and and ideas and things were connected to the, the practice of, of faith. They were great at creating a community. We were church planners. So like you, that's what you literally did. It was mostly for people that hadn't been connected to church before, or grew up that way and left it. And, and so they played a, a real role. Um, my grandparents, different ones have examples of, uh, you know, uh, organizing a union among laborers of uh, losing their business and career because they refused to segregate restaurant. Like there are things that that were just part of that made me go like, like you need to at least be as awesome as your family, right? Like you don't want to be the one where when they're telling the family history, they're like, yeah, but you know, that one uncle trip, he, uh, he, he's had a step back. Like he just retired and watched Fox news and became embarrassing. Like I didn't want to be that one. Um, so, uh, like they definitely had an impact on it. Um, and you know, the more I've learned about some of the, harm people have experienced in the church. Uh, it deeply saddens me, which is why, you know, I, I remember when I was deciding on my dissertation topic, there's half a dissertation that is like not theological at all. It is um, doing process and uh, event ontologies in continental philosophy. And I just realized that there are a lot of people that could write that dissertation, 
and I will read it. And if I have a chance, I'll finish the other one. But uh, part of the of what I've been given is w- with less baggage with the church and an opportunity to help connect via the podcast. I started as a hobby in divinity school with ministers and um, potential faith community organizers and such to create space. So there's less people with less baggage and create, you know, ecclesias in a sense that are animated by uh, communities of practice and where people can encounter that deep type of affirmation that energizes and animates a a different vision of the world. Um, I feel like my parents, all that kind of stuff set up for it. I'm nerdy and like it. And I feel like everyone has to take the ball forward in a sense in their family. And for me, that's also meant uh, becoming more and more clear about the history uh, legacy of white supremacy um, of being Southern evangelical Baptist. Right. Uh, And I've talked about this elsewhere and stuff, but uh, when we moved back to North Carolina for a year before I moved to Scotland, my kids all grew up in Southern California. So then they show up in my normal and my wife's normal and our oldest, who was 10 then, just is like, dad, that's racist. <laughs> you know, like, what is this? And uh, one of the statues that was torn down during the protest recently, um, the first time we drove by it in Raleigh, uh, it, it said, for our Confederate dead, there are cannons pointing out. And it's bigger than all the other war statues in downtown Raleigh. It's right in front of First Baptist Church. We're driving by it, and Elgin starts to tear up. And I'm like, Oh no, we just moved. He's probably missing his friends, you know, thinking something like that. And he goes, did you see that? And I was like, what? The monument. It says for our Confederate dead with cannons pointing out, there was a school class walking by that they all were not white Southerners. And it just immediately hurt him. All, every memory I had with that was with a grandpa who I've already told stories that animate and excite me, who walked by and told at every monument, the fuller that was a part of that war. And so like all of us have these conflictions in us. And in a sense, like I experienced that moment with Elgin kind of like I imagine Jesus felt with the Syrophoenician woman, right? Like, do you want to catch up with being the church or do you want to catch up just as a fuller, right? Like, do you want to catch up with being a fuller? Like you can see how each generation had these tasks before them. What is yours going to be? What are you going to do? And I think as uh, Christians um, in the South, in America, Figuring out what we do with the legacy of white supremacy, the way it still reigns in all ways recognized and not, and the way in which uh, that that same type of logic exists in our economic system and the way we commodify and um, have imperialized the planet is is a task. And so you can see like how this book and what I'm working on now are intimately connected to, um, you know, like nerdy reflections that I hope inspire uh, discipleship because it's where a nerd like me works out their own faith with fear and trembling. Um, but yeah, so like I was blessed, but there's also those challenges. And I, it wasn't until my kid pointed it out that I was like, Oh, so yeah, it says for our Confederate dead with it pointing at people. Like, right. Yeah. And so I, I think there's a, I think me and a lot of people like me, like the ex-evangelicals, these post, post-evangelicals, post-Calvinists, all these people are really suffering with the idea of the model of God that we have that's basically the Lord of the kind of imperial death cult, right? That's kind of marching across the world and, and taking everything that's not theirs and killing everything in its wake. And I think that that's a real like cold, deathly, you know, ghostly uh, reality that we haven't on a deep way dealt with in this world. 
And I think a lot of us are doing that in, in like how we're leaving the, those churches, right? Even if we're like our theology is similar, but we can't we can't get down with our parents voting for Trump or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, or we're not going home on that wall in the southern border, right? We're not um, we're not telling people to go back to where they came from because like they're born here and like their ancestors were probably brought here by somebody that looks like the guy telling them to go back to where they came from, right? So all of that shit that gets woven into this kind of imperial death cult structure that we see within modern Christianity within the Western world. Um, psychically and spiritually, that stuff still is present, I think, in our what we call our bodies, right? It's part of our embodied experiences as individuals that live now with a greater hope towards that lower towards the future. I was just asking the family question, like, you know, because it's good sometimes to kind of bring it back to the actual lived register of the existential. And for some of us, it's not that easy because, like, with my mom and my family and my dad, like, I have a lot of uneasiness with like the inherited religious traditions that I was given. Like when I became a Christian, I became a Christian because I wanted to please my mom. I was first actually, my first professed religion was Islam. Like I, I read the Quran and said like, you know, Muhammad is the God, is God's prophet, right? Like I would articulate that stuff differently now. And I still have a lot of love for, for Islam and being a Muslim in that kind of eclectic, you know, kind of pluralistic approach. But, um, and w- with respect for people who've grown up in that. And again, like the inheritance of my, of my mom's Christianity was very white, very, you know, Obama's a secret Muslim kind of thing, right? I'm like, actually, that's kind of cool if he is, like he played you, you know, or whatever. But the point being, apart from the birther bullshit, like, I just appreciate the reflections. Again, not a lot, not a question there, but just kind yeah. of. And if I can just maybe add to that, maybe this is a good way to tie a bow on the thing to speak about, I don't know, lineage, I guess. I don't know if it's exactly like you were saying, trip, like a for- forming of some kind of robust ecclesia or something like this, but uh, Preston and I have listened to your show for many years. I mean, less so in, in recent years, it's been busy and stuff like that, but yeah, sort of the, the journey, not out of Christianity necessarily, but sort of into a more, uh, a broader understanding of, of the faith and what it can mean and, and, and all that sort of thing. Like, this is going to sound like a weird statement, but like, we're like your spiritual children <laughs> in some weird yeah. way. I wouldn't be where I am theologically or spiritually in a real way, existential way without your podcast. Like, yeah. So it's, I, a, note, it, it's a note of gratitude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I appreciate that. I, it is, uh, hearing that is, uh, really nice. Like I, I, I would say like what I meant by, alternative ecclesias could be very broad right like yeah. and, and you're right that the existential kind of register elements more important to me um i also think people like yourselves people that listen to the podcast are kind of at a level of you know cognitive complexity maybe not development because i don't know what that means uh necessarily all the time but the type of questions and assumptions that are running through minds are are ones where at least at our cultural moment hardcore allegiance to any institution or tribe is like comes with being cynical inherently right like probably the only one i can do can do it for is like the lakers because i I have like straight up tribal loyalty on uh for the lakers that's what that's for man but didn't that happen after you moved to la (laughs) no no i've been a i've been a lakers fan for a while but it but it, it didn't turn into a love story till I was in LA for a Laker championship and, you know, Elgin's one and a half and I'm holding him and everyone's cheering. And you're just oh, did like, you get the, yeah. did, you, did you get a show up for the last Kobe championship? Yeah. That was that, a, that the back to back. Yeah. That was right when we uh, moved there and uh, we live uh, close to where Pau Gasol's uh, house was in Redondo. Um, so then like, you've seen him a couple of times, like it's not hard uh, to miss. It's like really hard to miss a seven foot one uh, Spaniard. Um, but if you were just to take the overwhelming majority of people who are going to be born into um, a 
Christian adjacent culture and community and those that will never get disturbed by some of the questions that make you start a podcast and me start one and read the books we read. Um, their place where they're going to ask a lot of their big questions and think about meaning, purpose, value, all these types of things are going to be in um, some expression of one of the wisdom traditions uh, we've inherited uh, and figuring out how to have more robust and healthy uh, versions of the one that blessed me is kind of part of my vocational uh, commitment. And, and I would count like the community builds around different podcasts and stuff as that though. I miss deeply in lockdown, not being in physical worship with people. I miss communal singing. I miss uh, saying prayers that I half affirm. Uh, I miss uh, realizing that there are people of multiple generations who already plan on hugging my children and I get to like play games with their kids and see someone my dead grandparents age and hear their cool stories. And then in the middle of it, we all show up and eat a dead dude that offered the meal to people that were denying him, rejecting him and had no idea what he was really about. And like, that's cool. Lockdown has made me more interested in figuring out how to, uh, I don't know, before I would have been much more, uh, you know, post-emergent affirmation of different ecclesiologies than what they look like, but it, missing it made me realize just how much power regular participation has on my own life and how much I, I miss it. Um, this made me want to think of uh, have it being more intentional about how we cultivate that space just because uh, I learned what it meant not as the one working at it, which I've done forever, but moving to a new place in another country and all but three of the people, you know, other than the people I moved here, all but three of the people that know my name were part of the church we started going to. It, it didn't have that removed was a powerful experience. I don't think most people run around having a large collection of deep relationships. <laughs> and and, uh, and I hadn't been here long, but I'd already joined uh, a group and there were a group of us who shared large portions of our lives with each other and were being supportive. And that's cool. And I tolerated that it was an Episcopal church because I'm like, I don't even know when we stand up and sit down. They don't put dots in the, in the bulletins because everyone knows except trip. And so it's just like, anyway, so I, I'm really grateful you told me that. And also like, yeah, like I don't want to narrow like, oh, just Ecclesia is like intentional churches, but I have thought more about the power they have, you know, having moved to a new place and then gone into lockdown. So I know we've talked for a while and we want to wrap this up, but I do have an interesting question. Maybe we can, you can leave this out on, um, unless Matt has another question on, again, that model of divine self-investment within the animistic model and rethinking liturgy in the, in the framework of what you're just talking about in terms of what does community look like? Does it look like, you know, um, What's the Solomon's porch where you have a cool like couches and it's kind of up there where it's like casual, right? Or like, does it, is there a different type of like more inherited Western uh, Protestant liturgical model where you have like, you know, somewhat of a procession from the back to the front of the church and you have a, 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 a preacher or a minister at the front of the church giving a sermon and, you know, administering sacraments among the community and maybe how liturgy manifests itself already, always already in our lives every day. Like you mm -hmm. waking up and, and making food for your children, both of you, mm -hmm. you know. And, and your partner, your wife, you know, your wives and them doing the same thing for you. And like how those are forms of liturgy within this animistic model, right? I'd have to think more about it. I have this, uh, 
uh, outline uh, to a book on the of models of the church that uh, I was working on with my previous mentor, Frank Tupper, before he passed. And so I don't know if it's going like what we're going to end up doing with it, but um, I basically take five different or we uh, take five different models uh, or images of community in uh, the New Testament or and in scripture and then kind of work them through a kind of open relational uh, framework. And, you know, the different elements you put about uh, about even like the structure, the liturgies and all those types of things, you know, addressing them. Uh, is become so contextual that we kind of pause to try to find a multiplicity of different examples to include in it, or you have to do go so specific in the exegesis of the text, it equips the reader to then think through their uh, own cultural context. So like simultaneously, you have to exegete the text of these images and then work them out in this constructive theology, but also you have to trust the church to do the contextual exegesis of their own culture, context, and community uh, to figure out what it looks like. Um, yeah, I told you my parents were church planners. We were the first ones in Raleigh to have a rock band lead worship, and it was in a movie theater. So when I smell popcorn at a movie theater, I think of Jesus. Most people don't have that. When you Sweet step, buttery Jesus. Yeah, when you <laughs> step on sticky stuff, the leftover remnant of soda trips like, Praise the Lord! It's time to worship. You know, um, I, I uh, and because I didn't have religious baggage, like I like uh, really repetitive pop rock songs with Jesus in it. Like I don't care. I don't have any issues of it. And um, though I have to say, if you are an, a static naturalist or an, a Christian animist, uh, the idea that you uh, find it shallow to use uh, uh, what would be uh, inherently native technologies that are part of our biological uh, uh, makeup to generate a spiritual bonding so that we sacrifice for the deepest virtues of a community um, and have a fusion of identity that takes us out of the way it's been conscripted into a kind of uh, a, a, a monetary uh, and capitalist image. Like that's not a problem. If you want to sing Lord, I lift your name on high for that, go for it. Um, not really. That's not my favorite song, but like, like the the affect of it is more powerful than the imagery. Um, it's like I I would have had a lot of different images, but like the church we ended up finding here uh, it is somehow like if you walk around really old buildings all the time, higher church things don't seem as weird. I don't I don't know what to say about it. it it's uh, it's a really old Episcopal uh, Scottish Episcopal church, but it meets in the round in a space that was reconfigured into an art museum uh, most of the week. And it uses large amounts of kind of like, you know, like Celtic worship type stuff from the Iona community throughout the liturgy. Like I've gone to other Scottish Episcopal churches, like large parts are similar, but also we just like use all the Scottish folk instruments the whole time. And the musicians are in the circle in the round, but the liturgy is straight normal. Uh, it's still, it's still, it still was fun to watch the kids freak out when the uh, uh, grape juice was fermented in lockdown, you know, they have weird rules about the, you know, their theory of the uh, uh, Eucharist. Like you can't like serve it if you're not ordained. And I was like, yeah, yeah but uh, uh, Alicia and I are ordained. And in fact, we're free church. So Elgin was ordained at his baptism. So we'll just, we got it over here. And I got this weird email, you know, like, were y'all serving communion during our symbolic exchange? And I was like, yeah, we got three. <laughs> 
three people could officially serve on our our odd uh, free church ecclesiology. So yeah, I, I definitely I think the uh, cultural exegesis is an, is something that the church has to learn to do. And um, then the question is, what is the character of one's cultural exegesis? Is it accommodating to the culture? Or is it finding ways to give the culture back to itself so that you're communicating well uh, an alternative uh, valuation? Cool. Well, thanks for your time, man. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. Any last final thoughts? My final thoughts are uh, very little of this conversation is ultimately in the book, but it's, it's tangentially related to it. If you really enjoy the conversation, you can uh, uh, get multiple copies for yourself, put it on your bookshelf, and pretend your favorite parts of this conversation are in the book. <laughs> because not that many people are going to read it. That's the uh, academic life. Oh, yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun talking to y'all. Yeah, same. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Trip. Thanks to you for listening. Intro and outro music are by Matt Baker. And that's it. <laughs>